Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. And as you know, I like to introduce you to comedy writers who you may not know, but whose work you have seen and enjoyed for years. So today I want to introduce you to Bob Ellison. Now, Bob is quite simply one of my idols. His career spans over 60 years. He's won two Emmys. He's written on variety shows, on sitcoms. He was a key writer on the Mary Tyler Moore show. And he has worked behind the scenes as a creative consultant on tons of shows and hundreds of episodes. So what is a creative consultant, you ask? Well, you're soon going to find out. You'll also hear some great stories, and you'll learn firsthand what really goes on in the writer's room. So that's this week, Bob Ellison on Hollywood and Levine. We're going to be talking a lot about the writer's room, and so it is the perfect time to introduce you to my newest sponsor, DoorDash. Now, in the writer's room, we have most of our meals brought in. See, but we have these production assistants who will go out and get the food from whatever restaurant we want. It's a really wonderful thing. No Domino's pizza ever. Wouldn't it be nice if you could do the same thing? Well, now you can with DoorDash. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in in the city. And ordering is very easy. You just open the DoorDash app, you choose what you want, where you want, and the food will be delivered to you wherever you are. And when I say wherever you are, I mean in the U.S. and Canada, and there are over 340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities So you're going to find your favorite there, whether it's fast food, whether it's Wendy's or Chick-fil-A or something more of scale like the Cheesecake Factory. Or if you want Chinese food in Los Angeles, you might think about Twin Dragons, and you'll be hearing a lot about Twin Dragons later on in the episode. Okay, it's very easy, and I have an introductory offer. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off of their first order of $15 when you download the DoorDash app and you enter the promo code Hollywood. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and you enter the promo code Hollywood. So don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you. It's almost like having your own writer's assistant. Like I said, it's a beautiful thing. (laughs) 
Okay, you know, there are stand-ups who, uh, in the stand-up world, they're called the comedian's comedian, where other stand-ups really admire them, but the public doesn't really know who they are. And in many ways, you're kind of the comedy writer's comedy writer, because you have spent many years kind of behind the scenes as a creative consultant, and a lot of the great jokes that people have laughed at in, oh, 20, 30 years are jokes that you came up with, but you're not credited for. You are sort of a creative consultant. What exactly is the role of a creative consultant? Uh, the role of the creative consultant is usually you come in one day a week right, uh, on a troubled script and go to a run-through or a reading and find out what the problems are and try to fix them. Okay. And sometimes it involves jokes that don't work, and that's when you jump in. And a lot of times it, it involves keeping the room alive. The guys have been through this for the whole week, and uh, morale is pretty low. Right. And they've been beat up on the stage and in the room, and you come in and try and pick them up and get everybody working. Is it fun? I mean, you always seemed like you were having a good time doing it. Always. Uh-huh. Loved it. In a sense, what a great job to just come in and spend a lot of time with other very funny people just being funny and having a good time. Hopefully that's the way it should be. <laughs> like twice maybe in 30 years it's been like that? Yeah. <laughs> maybe once. <laughs> I remember... We were doing a show one time, and the guy said to me, is it okay if my nephew comes in? He's six years old. And uh, I said, yeah, sure, put him in the corner over there. Mm-hmm. So after it was all over, somebody said to the kid, how do you like it? And the kid says, it's great, you just tell jokes and eat candy. But it also requires an awful lot of concentration. And you just, it seems effortless. And, and I've done that job on any number of occasions on on various shows. I'm the guy, they all go and try to get Bob first. And when they can't get him, then they say, who else is out there? So I'm kind of like, you know, they want Justin Verlander and they Uh settle for you, Darvish. So, but but you're you're the Justin Verlander. And for me, it's like, I'm... I come out of those sessions exhausted because I'm really concentrating, trying to be funny the whole time. And you, it just seems to be effortless. Well, I cheat a little bit. <laughs> Old jokes? Get, oh, no, no, never. <laughs> what happens is I, I try to get the script beforehand. Uh-huh. And I have to deliver it to the house or something like that. There's right. going to be a 3 o'clock right. run through. I'm jumping on it in the morning. Okay. You know, if I can. Uh-huh. Figure out what's the problem structurally and take a look at that when we get in. But jokes, I can always find better jokes in just by reading the script. And I'm, it, a, I'm ahead of the game by the time I get there. Also, you have, I mean, it's it's very clear, this very calming influence, which is very helpful in a room because there's a lot of pressure. You come back from the run-through, and you're not going home until the script is fixed. And, you know, you're just like, oh, my God, are we going to get it? Are we going to get it? And it's really nice just to have somebody who's there and like, yeah, okay, we'll be fine, we'll be fine. You always have to figure that the, the answer is in the air. 
Uh-huh. And uh, you just have to wait and know it when it comes along and grab it. And uh, like that, you can't go in and say it's impossible. We can't find it and never get it. Right. And that goes back to way back when I first started. I was working for a press agent, and you had to write jokes for, like, Tony Bennett said this while he was having dinner at that place uh-huh. and all that. And I was saddled with a IBM industrial typewriter. That, okay. that shut itself off in five minutes. <laughs> so you'd sit there. That's pressure. That's pressure. <laughs> and you'd sit there and you'd hear that little click. That was it. Oh, you didn't get it. You didn't get it. Still looking. All right. So, I mean, I think that helped. And you would do several different shows a week. At, at one time, were you like doing four different five, five shows? <laughs> yeah, but it's that's a trick also. I mean, some of the shows would be on hiatus sometimes, right? So you'd be doing three only, you know, only four. three, only yeah. four. But yeah. it's no different than uh, working on one show and working on it every day, right? You know, it's just a different show. Now, usually, the we, pay is better. You know? Yeah, <laughs> uh, back then, usually. Yeah. You know, you eat in, and so they would bring in in food. How many dinners do you think you've eaten out of styrofoam in your life? Oh, God. <laughs> the other downside of that is they knew that I knew a Chinese restaurant, mm-hmm. and I could order for them. And uh, I'd come in one day, and they thought they were doing me a big favor we ordered from your restaurant. Uh, so I'd be eating Chinese food five nights a week. You know? <laughs> but there, there's actually more to that story. And the story is the Chinese restaurant was Twin Dragons. Right. And because Bob would work on all these different shows, they all went to Twin Dragons and you would order because you knew what you wanted. And eventually all of the shows in town, if they wanted to get Chinese food for dinner... They would just call up Twin Dragons and they would say, see, how many we got? Uh, nine yeah. people? There. Bob Ellison for nine. Yeah. That's yeah. it. You know, Bob Ellison for 13. You're kind of like the Arnold Palmer of comedy writers. In fact, I, uh, I was watching a show one night and it involved comedy writers. Uh-huh. And they were trying to beat a story out or something. And they say, oh, it's getting late. Let's order from Twin Dragon. It was on on the show. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, thank you. Have you ever actually been to Twin Dragon? Have you ever actually eaten their food off of plates? Sure, sure. And uh, I think we went back once, uh, the guys from Becker. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. They didn't remember me. These can also be very long nights from time oh, to time yeah. when shows get thrown out. What's the latest rewrite that that you can remember? I would say like four in the morning. Uh, really? Four oh, oh man, I got I got you top. Boy, there there were days when the sun was up when oh, when I would come back. But we didn't have you because well, we would have had you, and you would have pitched all those great jokes. We would have been out at four. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I later on developed a thing where I would say, well, I'm not staying past 12. And that would get everybody focused. You know, uh-huh. they, they'd all That's a great it. idea, yeah. yeah. I got it from David Lloyd, you know. Uh-huh. He laid down the law, and uh, I'm le- 
leaving at this time, and that, that was it. But I, I'd stay. In addition to being a creative consultant for all these years, you mentioned David Lloyd, you also worked on staff of a number of shows, including the Mary Tyler Moore mm-hmm. show, where you also wrote 15 episodes, some of the truly great episodes. It's, to me, your Sue Ann episodes were always were always mm-hmm. the best. And, boy, you talk about uh, a murderer's row in terms of a room. Mm-hmm. Who were some of the people in the Mary Tyler Moore show writing staff room? It was Stan Daniels, Alan Burns, David uh-huh. Lloyd, Jim Brooks, Ed Weinberger. Like wow. That. Did it ever bother you that some of your best jokes were credited to somebody else? No. I, I don't, don't know that. Nobody wanted to take the blame. <laughs> no. You work on all of these shows. Did you watch them when they came on the air? Were, yeah. you, were you kind of curious to see what they ultimately came up with and whether this joke worked or whether it didn't? We figured everything worked before we shot it. Right. Because we could run through it. Right. No, pretty well. But, uh, yeah, I'd watch the shows. I'd watch everybody's show. Uh-huh. I, I enjoyed that show before I got on it. You know, I was doing variety shows before that. Mm-hmm. And, uh... Which we'll talk about in a minute, yeah. So, no, it was uh, fun to watch, fun to do, and I, I loved the cast. You know, there was just nice people. Mary was so complimentary to the writers. She would come over and say, you know, I saw Neil Simon play last night. I got to tell you, you guys, you know... She loved us. Uh huh. That's great. Yeah, it was fun. For all of us young writers at the time trying to break in, MTM, which produced the Mary Tyler Moore show, what a coincidence, was like Camelot. We we considered Mm -hmm. it Camelot. Being on the inside, did it feel that way? Did you get a sense that you were really part of something special at the time? was taking place not really i hadn't uh, i came from variety so that was uh, the big switch for me you know i hadn't worked on a lot of uh, half hour shows uh-huh so uh, i i didn't realize how good it was after the fact i uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> i found out yeah you mentioned that you um did a lot of variety shows what is the difference in terms of a writing style from variety to situation comedy? Well, when you're doing uh, variety shows, you're doing sketches. Okay. Basically, no storyline and no right. arcs or anything like that. Right. Just how funny you can make it, huh? Yeah. But it's six minutes, seven minutes, that's it. Uh-huh. Sketches. And uh, you had a star and you had a singer and uh, a couple of acts and, you know, break it up a little bit. I did a wonderful show called The Craft Musical in New York. In New York, there used to be lots of variety shows you right. know, before they faded. Right. Out. We're talking like the 50s and 60s. For me, the 60s. Okay. Yeah, I didn't start in the 50s. I was writing for stand-ups then. Uh-huh. A lot of stand-ups. Who'd you write for? All of them. and uh, Some of them still owe me money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> They're a strange breed. I don't know if the comics today have writers or they 
write their own stuff. Probably but, most write their own stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But it was different then. I wrote for, like, Pat Henry, uh, who opened for Frank Sinatra, uh-huh. which has a tie into something I did later. I wrote for uh, guys like London Lee. <laughs> you, you don't know London Lee. Oh, I've, heard, I've heard the name, yeah. but I'm sure 99.99% of the people listening right now don't know who yeah. London Lee was. I remember seeing him one night. He got a laugh, and it scared him. <laughs> you never heard that sound before. <laughs> Which is why we've never heard from him since. Yeah. Uh-huh. A lot of guys. Uh, Ralph Pope was a guy I wrote for. Because I used to be a musician. I worked in clubs in New York. And there'd always be a comic on the show. And I would just, like this, out of friendliness, I guess, or because I gravitated towards... Uh-huh. Funny people, uh-huh. I'd help write something. And this kid, Ralph Pope, that I worked with in the club, one night we were having coffee between shows, and I had an idea for a Ben Casey sketch. Okay. And I pitched it to him, and he did it on the next show downstairs. Uh-huh. And it went over well, and he says, I want you to write this out for me. And I said, okay, I'll try and I did it, and I came back, and he says, I want to pay you for it. How much? I said, $68.80. You know, <laughs> I bought a typewriter. That's what it was. I wanted to be reimbursed. Okay. <laughs> so uh, a little Olivetti was a wonderful typewriter. And Didn't shut off after five no, minutes? No, no, uh-huh. three. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it started, really. And you also wrote for a lot of sort of famous people in the variety world. So I'm going to throw some names at you, okay? Dean Martin. You wrote for Dean Martin. What yeah. was he like? Wonderful. Just uh, came in on Sundays, shot the show, no rehearsals. You know, uh-huh. he'd watch somebody stand in or something, uh-huh. do the the moves, and jump right in. And it was a loose show. And I remember the first time they introduced me to him, I, he said, this is one of the writers, this is Bob Ellison. Okay, he says, you keep writing, kid, you're bound to come up with something. <laughs> <laughs> did he Did he then remember you the next time he saw you, or... <laughs> he didn't see anybody. <laughs> he was just, he just come floating in, yeah. do his thing, and leave. Huh? One, one night I had to leave early, and uh-huh. he was uh, closing the show, and he said, everybody loves somebody, something. So that's the end of the show for me. I ran out because I had a, uh-huh. people waiting for me. Uh-huh. And he almost ran over me. I don't know how he did it. But... <laughs> he left so fast. Yeah. Like in the middle of his song, yeah. he's already out the door. Yeah, he beat me. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was wonderful, you know, on the show. No flubs, no misses, and he added a lot. And did he ever complain about uh, never, any of the material? Never, never. Uh-huh. Just got up, did it, and made it better. And he's a funny man. He was. You also wrote for one of my favorite comedians, Alan King. Yeah, I met Alan when we were doing the Craft Musical, but uh, I did a lot of things with Alan. Alan one year did the Academy Awards. Oh, so you got to write on the Academy Awards, huh? Yeah, yeah. It was Danny Arnold and uh, Al Cantor. Uh-huh. Yeah, nice. That must be kind of nice knowing that your jokes are being seen by a billion people or whatever. Yeah, yeah. 
it was it was good. I worked real hard at it. We went to Vegas first. He was appearing in Vegas, and uh, worked on it for about a, a week, week and a half. As it was the year Chaplin was there. Chaplin liked the monologue, so that. Oh, I remember that year. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Did you get to meet Chaplin at all? Oh no. Uh huh. They just brought him in for the show, and yeah, then, he was uh, old. You know, he yeah. Was, he was, he was, uh-huh. But he was on a cane and everything. And, well, he always had a cane. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He had the cane in 1905. A little, little, little derby, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> I had no connection to Charlie Chaplin. I didn't care. Uh-huh. And he didn't talk much, you know that. Right, yeah. <laughs> Just don't touch my cane. Right. You know? <laughs> I noticed that you did three or four specials with maybe the funniest guy in Hollywood, Burt Backrack. Oh, God. <laughs> How did you wind up with, with Burt Bacharach? Again, it was the Kraft musical. Oh, okay. That's and how you first met him? Yeah. Uh-huh. He was very popular at the time. The songs were... Right, the songs were, were great, yeah. yeah. I loved his wife, Angie Dickens. Yeah. And she had a great sense of humor. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you uh, thought it was all looks, then. Yeah, well, no, it's just that, oh, I, I got it. I love her even more. Yeah. I mean, I was tuning around... And on Me TV, there was like yeah. an old episode of Perry Mason uh-huh. that she was on from like 1958, and it was like, okay, I, I, we're going to stop here. We're going to watch this for a while. Yeah, uh, God, she was gorgeous. She was. Yeah, and uh, she liked that. I used to always try to put Bert on. I could do pranks on him, you know. Oh, Bert, like what? Uh, what kind of pranks? Uh, we wrote a show one time, and he had just done. Uh, Shangri-La, was that it? A movie he wrote. Oh, Lost Horizons. Lost Horizons, mm-hmm. yeah. And there were a lot of kids on the show singing the tunes and everything. And right. I, re- I wrote a thing for one of the kids where he's talking to Bert, and he says, Mr. Backrack, is Hal David dead? And he says, no, he's alive. He says, why do you ask? He says, well, you never talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> and Angie loved that, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we did three specials, and I, I think two of them were done in England. It must be nice. They put you up. That's put you up and brought a limo to pick you up in the morning to drive out to the thing. To write jokes. Yeah. Yeah. Then they, it's a pretty good job. Well, it wasn't just jokes. I'm a bird back rack. He didn't, you know. You had to write lyrics? <laughs> no, no. But, you know, just to connect the pieces between the shows. We did one that had... Noriev and Barbara Streisand on it. Wow. Uh, that was a big show. Mm-hmm. So he, he, was he funny? Noriev? Yeah. We had to write something where they're standing at the piano and reminiscing and thinking of voiceover here, you know, coming out. Of the, how I first met uh, Bert Packrack. It was at a party. And, I, this. Huh. and so we came to Noriev and he read it, he read it, and he says, Fuck! I never did this. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't exactly showbiz, you know. <laughs> but but they, those were big shows, you know. Tom Jones was on it. Uh-huh. Barbara Streisand. Oh, Barbara Streisand. Oh, it's pretty cool that you wrote for Barbara Streisand. Yeah. She did a thing one day, and then it was like a duet with herself. Right. Mm-hmm. Why, I mean. Yeah. Uh, one less bell to answer. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And we were in the editing room. She was there watching the editing, and 
it was beautiful. And I told him, I said, you ought to put this on a reel and take it to an agent, you know, you, you never can tell. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing, not a smile, not a laugh. You're known for a couple of, like, classic jokes. So now I'm going to ask you whether they really happened, okay? Uh, or whether they're, they're just stories. And they're, they're both attributed to you. One is that you had a pilot, and you were in an office watching the rough cut with the network president, and he apparently said, there's not enough close-ups. Right? And what did you say? Pull up your chair. <laughs> okay, so that one is true. We all love that one. And the other one is, uh, it's a late rewrite night, and uh, and you pitch a joke, and apparently the showrunner doesn't really respond to it, and it's says... Too sketchy. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then what do you say? No, I pitch another one, and she said, too... Too jokey. Uh-huh. And I said, it's also 2.30. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The one that I, I no, they never got around, but there was a, a guy from ABC. Okay, that's done. ABC. Uh-huh. And he had two of his henchmen with him. Uh-huh. And he came over, and he had just watched the run-through, and he was talking about a sketch we did. And he said... My Midwestern asshole tells me that's not uh, funny. I said, which one is he? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You walk with Bob on the lot, and something will happen, and he will come up with a joke so fast. There was uh, a writer colleague of ours who always dressed in black. And Bob and I are walking a lot, and we come across him, and he's wearing a white shirt. And Bob just turns to him and goes, who died? (laughs) You know, it's like, it it seems to come easily to you, though, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Well, you got to be, like, always in gear, you know? Uh-huh. You've you got to be looking for things. Yeah, yeah. well, you, you you are a great believer in that. Yep. You have to be observant. Yep. Know what's going on. Yep. Yeah. Um, I mean, I tell the story that one day I was driving down the 405 freeway coming home from the airport, and I saw this billboard for Wells Fargo that said, your retirement starts here, and behind it was Hillside... Cemetery. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I saw that and and I laughed. And I thought to myself, how many hundreds of thousands of people drive by, see the same billboard and the same cemetery behind it, and don't make that connection? Yeah. You know, it's just your mind, like, just is geared to see those kind of absurdities. There used to be one in New York, Lefrak City. And it was a guy holding a baby, and it said, Daddy, if we lived here, you'd be home now. Uh-huh. And my friend Ralph Pope said, and if I didn't have this baby, <laughs> I'd be living in New York. <laughs> yeah, their signs are good. 
Yeah. Well, you do the same thing with commercials, don't you? Sure. You see them. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. There's a million things in there. Right. Well, that's one thing too. In a writing room, during a rewrite, the funniest stuff never goes in the script. Yeah. <laughs> the funniest stuff is just between people. So, last question. I want to go back to the Mary Tyler Moore show. Like I said, you wrote fifteen scripts. How long would it take you to write an episode? I'd say a week. Uh huh. But it was uh, I wrote longhand on uh-huh. a legal pad. One time I had a legal pad and I put an extension cord on it and I plugged it in just so people <laughs> would walk by and it's like what is that? You know, <laughs> craziness. Uh, do you still have any of those legal pads? Do you still have any of your handwritten first drafts? No, no. Yeah, no. We Larry moved Gilbert to kept everything. Yeah, yeah. It was wonderful. Uh, we uh, moved to New York and uh, I gave away all the scripts. They were bound and everything like that. Uh-huh. And uh, everything I didn't need, you know, it was a small apartment. Right. Compared to the big house we had here. Right. So that's all gone. Right. And well, Bob, this has really been great. Thank you so much. When David and I would get a show on the air, our first call was always to you. And uh, Big Wave Dave. Big Wave Dave. Yeah. That's right. Yes. And, you know, listeners of this podcast know what a mega hit Big Wave Dave's was. Uh-huh. Yeah. The rest of the world does not. But it was the people great in the room. To... It was great in the room. People loved it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We had a really good time. Bob, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. This went flying by. And that will do it for this edition of Hollywood and Levine. Our thanks again to Bob Ellison, also to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolfert, Bruce, and Jason Miller. And if you want to get in touch with me, I will write you back. You can just email me at hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I'm also on Twitter, of course, at Ken Levine. And I'm on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. If you plan to be in the Minneapolis area, on Friday night, November 15th, I will be there. There will be a staged reading of my new Christmas play called On the First Day of Christmas. You can go to my Facebook page and find out the information there. It's going to be a staged reading, and I'm also going to do a Q&A after. So uh, if you happen to be in Minneapolis or if you happen to be in Beirut and want to fly to Minneapolis, that is going to be Friday night, November 15th. Okay, that's enough plugs. Uh, I will talk to you again next week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye. Hollywood and the Vine. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.